that is core to this, is being able to take the data that Amazon has um, with customer reviews, uh, keyword trends, and innovating at scale, bringing that data as close to the customer as possible, and launching new products consistently. And, and to do so with an agility that like CPG just can't. You're listening to Retail Remix, your inside access to candid conversations with the people shaping retail's future. Here's your host, Alicia Esposito. Marketplaces have been a huge trend over the past few years. We're seeing retailers start their own marketplaces and retail media networks, and we're seeing more brands, even the really well-known, established, and heritage ones, build out their marketplace strategies. We knew this was such a critical topic that we decided to have a dedicated track on marketplaces at our Retail Innovation Conference and Expo this past May. And I have to say, the response was incredible. Every session had a packed crowd, and there were executives from various backgrounds, job functions, areas of expertise, and they all came together because they were eager, no, hungry, to understand where this space was, where it was heading, and most of all, how they could get a piece of the pie. One of my favorite sessions, I think, from the track was this one that we're running for you today as a very special episode of the podcast, and it is a panel featuring different aggregators. We've been keeping a close eye on this space, especially our e-commerce editor, Nicole, who is moderating the session because they are growing really quickly. They have a significant impact on where the marketplace space is heading, and they all have a very distinct approach to identifying high-growth brands, building those brands out, and turning them into very viable bigger businesses that are successful on marketplaces. So with that, if you're interested in learning more about this space, this episode is perfect for you because we have executives from AccuCo, Elevate Brands, and Perch, possibly the top three, if not representing the top five of the biggest aggregators out there. So listen in because they all provide very unique perspectives around like how they're dissecting the marketplace space, identifying new opportunities, and even insights on where they think this space is heading. Welcome to the last session of the day in the Marketplaces track of the IRCE conference. I'm really excited for this one. It's a hot space, and we have three great executives um, to talk to us now about the Amazon aggregator space. I'm Nicole Silberstein. I am the e-commerce editor at Retail Touchpoints. Before we get started, I'd love to kind of know how many people in the room are sellers on on Amazon? Okay, so we have a good contingent of sellers here with us today, which is great. Um, It's been fascinating to watch this space develop over the last couple of years um, as so many different organizations have emerged, how they're differentiating, most of all, how they're using those points of differentiation to find the right brands for their portfolios. Today, we get to go behind the curtain with three executives from three different aggregators, and we'll get their take on the fast-evolving marketplace space how they go about identifying and analyzing the, their acquisition targets and their predictions for the future, which will be particularly interesting given some of the developments in recent weeks. So please join me in welcoming Rob Bell, Chief Growth Officer of Elevate Brands, 
Nathan Siminski, Marketing and Advertising Manager at Perch, and Christine Kui, VP of Brand Management for Acuco. Did I say that right? Yeah. Okay, great. Just gonna hop on up here. So guys, I, I wanna start by letting you each kind of tell us a little bit more about yourself and also your company, what differentiates you, what your kind of niches in the aggregator space. Do you want to kick us off, Christy? Yes. Um, Agrico was founded in 2020 by two ex-Amazonians who have experiences as operators for brands, growing brands in the marketplace space from the ground up to building software that supports Amazon sellers. Um, I have a merchant background myself. I started my career as a planner at Target in private label kids apparel. My most recent role before Aquico was as an omni-channel buyer for Walmart and walmart.com for a billion dollar P&L, um, the, the largest desk in that category in the world. And then I met Ronick and Wiley and I joined the Aquico team in 2020 and we were a team of, of three and now it's been about two years that I've been there. We're a team of over 150 in the US with over $400 million of revenue under management. In terms of what differentiates us from other aggregators, it's really the, the background of our buyers, right? We pride ourselves in our operational expertise, being true merchants, growing these brands from kind of brand sources to pro uh, product sources to true brand sources, and really adding differentiated value to the customer and bringing these brands from just being you know, Amazon native to across multiple channels. Uh, yeah, and I'm Nathan Sminsky. Um, I'm marketing and advertising manager at Perch. Um, I joined about a year and a half ago, um, back when there were far fewer aggregators. And uh, I, my background is kind of in PR and marketing. Um, and I had actually um, been working for a venture capital firm, had seen an investment thesis in the space, and just knew I had to kind of join the space. Um, but really, what differentiates Perch, I would say, is on the supply chain. Our CEO um, and our COO really built Wayfair's uh, large parcel delivery network, uh, taking large parcel deliveries down from 27 days to two, and um, really trying to replicate kind of the scale savings that you can see on the supply chain. So I'm pretty proud we actually just inked um, kind of a year-long container deal with some, some big um, carriers that is going to see like savings of 35 to 40% per container, which is, which is huge for us, especially right now, as, as all of you, I'm sure, have been feeling the pain of, of container costs going up. So, yeah. Rob? Yeah, hi, Rob Bell, um, Chief Growth Officer of Elevate Brands. Um, I'm from Australia originally, but uh, based in Texas, Austin. Um, my background is investment banking and uh, physical commodities trading. Um, Elevate itself, we actually started as a regular seller in 2016, um, so I think that's a big differentiating factor. We had an existing uh, you know, business on Amazon before we moved into the um, brand aggregation space. Um, so I think that kind of operating pedigree is carried through to the business today. Um, we're not the biggest in the space, we've been very disciplined in our approach and um, certainly you know, trying to create a sustainable and uh, scalable operating platform. Great. Well, given that we have so many sellers in the room today, I'd love to start by just hearing a little bit more about how you identify the brands that you're going to acquire, keeping in mind, of course, that uh, the pace of acquisition does seem to be slowing down a little bit. Um, but what is your litmus for a brand worth acquiring? Um, and how can any of the sellers in the room today who may be hoping to eventually exit, what can they do to make an acquisition-ready business? You want to kick us off with that one, Rob? Yeah, sure. Um, it's a good question. I, th I think 
Our, our kind of acquisition criteria has definitely evolved over time as our business has matured. Um, I think there's probably three things that we think about. Um, the first is just general criteria. Um, so things like size, like we are looking for businesses that are doing at least eight figures in revenue between 10 and 100 million in revenue. That doesn't mean we can't acquire a smaller business, but that's kind of the, the size threshold we're looking at today. Obviously, top of SEO, um, high quality products, defensible products. Um, I think what's very important for us at the moment is the last five deals we've done, we actually kept the teams um, on board uh, and they all kind of joined Elevate. So that's quite an important um, element for us now um, going forward. Um, we did start as a seller, but you can't, it's very difficult to replicate the special source which the entrepreneurial owner had in that business. And so certainly, you know, we like to partner with um, sellers and entrepreneurs. So that's, that's another element from a criteria perspective. Um, category wise, you know, when we started, we were very broad on the categories that we were focused on. Um, but as we've done more and more M&A, we've got 32 brands now, we, we are kind of focused on a few verticals where, you know, more of those deals have landed. So sports and outdoor is one category we're focused on, pets, um, medical products and assisted living, and um, kind of tools and industrial and scientific products. Um, so they're kind of the four verticals we like. Um, and then just generally like, the. The criteria is obviously very flexible because every business is different, but I think two things which we found to be very important. Um, one is, you know, proven kind of product launch engine. So I think anyone that's developing a business, having a really robust pipeline that you can communicate to a buyer of what the future new product development pipeline looks like um, is super important. is very important for a buyer like us. It gives a lot of confidence that we can continue to launch products. Um, and grow that business going forward. Um, the second point is, you know, if the brand has an audience, a following, um, and if, if the seller is able to cultivate that and, and demonstrate that there is some element of kind of brand awareness attached to it that, um, and community, that's also another thing that we like to see. So yeah, that's kind of at a high level where we sit. Yeah, and to, to, so I second a lot of those things. Uh, purchase more category agnostic. We have about 100 brands that spans uh, many, many different categories, and, and we'll probably stay that way moving forward for the next year. Um, we've definitely become more selective um, as multiples have, have climbed. Um, and I, I think that something for us is that we really look at three specific things um, these days is um, products that have, or brands that have utility patents. Like we, we wanna kind of own that product and, and we wanna be differentiated. So, so that's one thing that we really like a big yes to. Um, the, the second one is a differentiated supply chain. So one of our largest deals was for Web Deals Direct. Um, it was a $120 million deal. And uh, they had their own asset-based fulfillment operations. So they had their own uh, facilities. They had a 220,000 square, um, 220, square foot warehouse in Corona, California. And that's been one of our hugest assets. We're, we're actually kind of doubling down there and trying to grow our own uh, asset-based um, fulfillment operation. And so that was a cornerstone. And we love things like that. And there are brands that have similar assets that we really seriously look at um, as part of the deal. And then I guess the third one is, is to kind of piggyback off of what Rob was saying was, um, yeah, if you have a following, um, you can see on Amazon, a lot of people think that 
there aren't real brands, it's products on Amazon. And that's just not true. Um, we see branded search on a lot of our products that we've, we've acquired and brands we've acquired. Um, the best example is Baby Merlin. It's a magic sleep suit. Every time I bring it up, someone knows it. Um, and it, most of our sales come from people directly searching that, those keywords, Baby Merlin, into Amazon. And we love that. Um, and we're looking for more products that are like that. So, yeah. Anything to add, or did, or did the guys kind of cover all the parameters you look for in a brand? Uh, similar, a few things to add. Um, we look for brands that are on the bigger side, the three million in revenue a year or above, and we look at that concentrated across a few hero ASINs. Um, we like to see ASINs that are number one in the BSR category they play in, a lot of reviews, really solid review um, count and quality, so 4.5 stars, 5 stars compared to their competitors in that space. Um, and we also look at from, from the get-go, you know, we're, we're operators um, from day one. What can we do to really add value to grow that brand? We think about that before we even acquire the brand, right? So there's a lot of things that aggregators talk about in their playbooks that sound really good in theory, but it's really hard to execute and you can't apply that for all brands. One example of that is going into international markets or going into a different channel. The Walmart customer, for example, is very different than the Amazon customer in a lot of categories, right? So we evaluate what value can we add in the areas that we're good at, including channel expansion, SEO, new product launch, and how can we really scale that business from what it, what it was to what it could be. This is a great segue, Christine. Thank you, because the mm -hmm. next thing I really want to dive into is what you do with the brands once you acquire, the, acquire them. The, the premise of the aggregator model is essentially economies of scale, right? That you are going to be able to, by bringing all this together, optimize and scale the businesses to, to growth that they wouldn't be able to reach on their own. So I'd mm -hmm. love to hear about, more about how you're doing that, particularly because you are operating in so many varied categories, which seems like it would kind of make that more challenging. Do you want to... Take that one first, Nathan. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, so I, I would say the first thing is supply chain. Um, and, and so I, I spoke about kind of signing that, that um, May 1 kind of carrier contract. And I think that's a huge thing. Scale savings, we're getting you know, many thousands of containers for a full in bulk um, with huge discounts. And, and it's not just the savings that come with scale. It's the ability to go to a carrier and say, I want space, I'm going to have space, make space for me. Um, because if, if, you, if you end up having to go onto the spot market, you're paying so much more and you might not even get space anyways. And so being, being assured that you are going to get the products when you need them so that when Q4 hits, you're not out of stock is huge. Um, and that's been a big issue. Um, the other thing is, I, I would say, having an asset-based fulfillment operation so that um, you know, Amazon really restricted our inventory limits last year in 2021. And so where, you know, do you have a reliable 3PL or do you have your own space that you can own and kind of plan out and make sure that you're not getting out of stock and can send things into Amazon when you need to? Um, so, so those, I mean, supply chain is, is one of the biggest ones. Um, something else that really excites me is, um, yeah, like affiliate marketing. We, we basically have relationships um, with some of the largest publishers in the space. And what's exciting is we have like a dashboard where they can go and they can see all of our deals at any given time. They can download like a Chrome extension that allows them to, when they're browsing Amazon and they're thinking of a listicle, right? You know, the top five, whatever you want to call it, um, it, it will flag our products for them so that they can see and they're getting a percentage of, of any product that, you know, any click that goes through. And so um, 
they're incentivized to do that. So if we're like the third product that's listed, whereas they might have chosen the number one, they see ours as flagged and they have the relationship with us. Um, and so that's an exciting high growth area for us um, that has been driving a lot of sales. Um, and then I think pricing is also really exciting. Um, we just released last week kind of our algorithm V2 um, that's taking into account, you know, we're really trying to hit price elasticity across all of our products, giving brand managers uh, pricing recommendations twice a week, um, taking into account seasonality and things like that, trying to um, you know, use data for us. And so you know, rather than using our best thinking, we're trying to be data-driven and tech-driven from day one. And I think we're starting to see the, uh, the payoff of that right now. So, yeah. Anything to add, Bob? Yeah, I think the you know, everyone's everyone's got their playbooks. Um, I think every brand is very different depending on kind of the size and the life cycle and the category they're in and, and how well the previous owner had optimized that business. Um, so the degree of the work we do um, changes. I think where we've had a lot of success in the last 12 months, um, obviously supply chain has been pretty tough. Um, channel expansion has been a very big lever for us and we've had a lot of success expanding particularly digital channels um, and also even taking some of these Amazon brands D2C. Probably out of our 32 brands, three have done really well on D2C. I think one of the benefits of our model is because you have so many brands, you can test five to six of them. Maybe three don't work, but double down on the three that do. Um, so that's been uh, a big kind of lever to pull for us. Um, and yeah, new product developments going, going strongly, affiliate marketing, I think for this year, the big push is trying to get some retail um, test orders for some of the brands, which I think you know a lot of a lot of products on Amazon have big potential in retail, but um, it's a very different kind of business model um, and a different kind of market to play in. So, I guess one, uh, one thing I'm trying to understand is how much of it you uh, are really dealing with each brand still individually, and how much of your model is trying to address challenges globally across your entire portfolio. It sounds like, for example, Rob, what you're doing is very differentiated by each brand. The more brands you get, the more complicated that becomes, though, right? Um, can you tell me a little bit more about how that happened, you know, how you're going to continue that as the company grows? Yeah, so, so I, think, I think the scale... <coughs> You know, our view of this, this, this scale benefits from the absolute sense of scale as in just being a big organization. Um, because we have capital, we can hire the best people. Um, scale by number of brands certainly doesn't help you in our view. That just actually adds a whole ton of complexity. So our view is to buy fewer businesses and really focus on trying to grow them uh, individually. Um, so that's that's kind of what that that's our strategy going forward. I think. The way we structure the business, we have a brand manager who essentially becomes the CEO of each brand, and then we have centers of excellence, which performance marketing, SEO, affiliate, supply chain, that essentially help that brand manager to grow that brand. Um, and obviously, we've kept a lot of the teams on from the businesses that we've acquired, so they're still kind of operating relatively siloed with our support and resources to continue to drive growth. Does that hold true for you, Christine, Nathan? Um, I would add that one important pillar that we have is building technology and infrastructure to automate some of the processes that we do. You know, if you want to launch new products with, with each brand, right, like the chances that you buy brands that are in the same category, probably not frequently, even if that's going to be intentional, right? 
So you're going to be playing the different categories and launching very different products. You know, getting the process that you do manually, that you have that expertise on automated, is immensely important to help you create that redundancy and control that scale. One of our executives, our chief product officer, you know, he built an Amazon brand that was run almost entirely on um, algorithms, and his background is, is Google and Tesla. So we are very committed to growing, but also building the technology to make sure that we can scale sustainably and have it not just be hiring more and more, right? Because when you bring in a junior brand manager, they're not going to have the same depth of knowledge that a seller who's been building their baby for three to five years is going to have, right? They need a playbook and support and infrastructure to help them pick up those things that someone else that has that seasoned experience already knows in the back of their head. Yeah, yeah I would second that. Um, technology is going to be pivotal. Uh, to being able to do this uh, leanly and uh, at scale. And uh, I, I think, you know, again, I, I'm going to be supply chain all day. Uh, I think when it comes to purchase orders, that is a really time-consuming process, typically, when you're, when you're negotiating with um, the, the manufacturer and it's sending it in. It's just a time-consuming process. And so we do that all on platform. Um, we were able to do 260 purchase orders in April which is up from 150 in Q4. And we're just trying to do as much of it as possible. I mean, that the time savings is hours and hours per week um, that can just be done manually or uh, automated, essentially. Um, you, put, you put in the information you need, and it's all done um, for you. And, so, and then visibility of the supply chain, similar idea, right? We want to be able to see as much as possible with as little time. So we have a team of five that does that for a portfolio of 5,000 products, um, which I think is remarkable. And, uh, and, and we will continue to see, I think, um, time savings and, and cost savings on pricing. Um, the communication between promotions, pricing, advertising, they all need to speak to each other. And so uh, step one for us was visibility, just getting visibility of a remarkably complex organization. Um, and, and now I think we're at the, the, the point where we're kind of tipping towards automation and starting to see exciting development. So we'll see. It's an investment. but. Um, I'm excited for it. Well, I mean, the, the tone of this aggregator space has shifted pretty dramatically from two years, even a year ago. I mean, there was, I think in recent memory, it was kind of just buy, buy, buy. There was huge amounts of funding. We're now seeing that shift. We are seeing VCs pulling back. And this is not just uh, in the aggregator space across tech. We're seeing layoffs. Uh, there were some notable headlines just recently about some big aggregators going through layoffs, cutting back costs. Um, as the nature of this business shifts, as your companies mature, what is the long-term strategy? What does your company look like 10 years from now? Should I start? Yeah, go for um, it. Yeah, we're, we want to become a digitally native CPG company of the sort. So our products in multiple channels, multiple countries, anywhere where the customer would want it, right? And the first step of that is making sure that we give our brands a true image. These products that we're buying, a lot of times they are a very differentiated product. It's, I'm sure you guys as sellers know, it's very hard to maintain thousands, hundreds of thousands of reviews and that BSR position in such a competitive marketplace, right? So taking that you know, special sauce that you guys have already kind of created, making that apparent to customers, growing that brand, you know, adding that value to the customer, and then expanding the portfolio um, to different products as a 
source of um, source of, of of truth for customers that are looking to purchase in that category, and then growing it across multiple marketplaces too. Um, EU is, is a focus of us, Canada, UK, and then also different channels as well um, in different countries. Yeah, I would second all of that. Um, you know, uh, to, to become kind of a, a digitally native, native CPG company, the, the kind of, you know, tech-enabled Procter & Gamble um, is a huge bet. Um, but, but I think it's built for us on kind of what we're calling consumer-centric commerce, which is really taking, and both of my colleagues have, have kind of discussed um, product innovation, I, and I think that like that is core to this, is being able to take the data that Amazon has um, with customer reviews, uh, keyword trends, and innovating at scale, bringing that data as close to the customer as possible, and launching new products consistently. And, and to do so with an agility that like CPG just can't. Um, that's the vision. And I think it will be built on product innovation. Um, you know, there will be these scale savings that we're discussing, but it really will be product innovation. That, and I, I'm glad that we're all kind of focusing on it right now. That's a big focus for us in, in 2022. So do you also keep some of the brand team on then to power that innovation? Or where, or if not, where's that product innovation come from? Yeah, so uh, typically we have not kept the brand, well, so we, in some of our largest acquisitions, we've kept the team in place. Um, we're, we're talking brands of, you know, 50 million plus in revenue. Um, typically for kind of smaller brands where it's just the founder, um, they, they will kind of um, take the money and go. Um, however, like innovation is built uh, by those entrepreneurs. They are the ones that have kind of the roadmap for new product launches and things like that. And so they are intimately involved in that, that you know, they are still contributing those ideas and kind of making sure that we are kind of carrying them to fruition. Um, but we, we now have a team that's really just solely focused on that. And in a big way, we have um, over 60 product launches that are gonna happen this quarter and hoping to double and triple that over the next several quarters. Um, and and that goes beyond just product variation. Like variation is table stakes, right? Like it needs to be new products that the customers want, um, increased uh, assortment and, uh, and selection. And so that's where we're focused. What about you, Rob? What does Elevate look like 10 years from now? Yeah, it's, we're like, we don't have a crystal ball. We've, we're all very ambitious, um, <laughs> but I think, yeah, like we want to build a global business. We want to have a global footprint. I think we want to be leaders in the kind of the four verticals that we're kind of doubling down on now. We obviously want to have really robust portfolios in each of those verticals. Um, I think we want to have global infrastructure, which might be, um, you know, 3PL facilities and, and um, really kind of competitive advantage in supply chain. I think we haven't ruled out potentially having our own manufacturing capability in certain verticals. That's something that's kind of being discussed now. Um, so the business model has a lot of different uh, routes it can take. Um, you know, we are kind of just focused one, one year forward, but um, you know, our, our ambition is to take the business global, um, sell in many different channels and, and have you know, millions of raving fans for all our products kind of around the world. So. <laughs> I mean, a lot of um, another one of the headwinds happening right now is that 
we're seeing a little bit of a leveling off of the e-commerce boom that was precipitated by COVID, which did kind of coincide with the aggregator boom. So at the moment that a lot of this acquisition, this acquisition frenzy was happening, was also a moment when kind of e-commerce was at its peak. So the brands were, their valuations were quite high. We're seeing that level out now as people um, head back into stores. I'm wondering what kind of impact you're seeing that on your business, your ability to grow, um, your kind of attitude around acquisition. I know, I know we've said broadly it's slowing down, but um, how are you kind of dealing with these COVID ups and downs that have been really happening in tandem with the aggregator ups and downs? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the COVID ups and downs are, are expected, right? During that year and a half, the, the money that typically people would have for experiences, they, they went to products and that's not gonna be the case anymore. Thankfully, the world has opened back up now. Um, I think it, it comes with having a very clear plan and having every area of your organization be on the same page. Our business model as aggregators is a little bit more, how would I say this, like linear than some of the other companies. You know, growth goes straight into M&A, goes straight into diligence, goes straight into migration, and ultimately ends up with the brand management team managing, growing the brand, and scaling it for hopefully an indefinite amount of time, right? So everyone has to be on the same page in terms of like what we are looking at and how we can really grow this brand. And when we're bringing over a brand through diligence, you know, our team is, is very well versed in terms of like high level brand growth tactics. And we present a plan very early on. So this is the financials I think we're going to do this year, next year, into five years. And you build that by looking at pre-COVID market and performance, how your market share for this particular seller has grown, how the the total market has grown. Um, In general, with the same assortment of products, do you think you'll grow year over year, pre-COVID, post-COVID? Probably not, unless you apply the strategies that you know aggregators are supposed to be here for you know that SEO strategy content overhaul branding PPC you know complete brand overhaul and and launching new products and and that's going to be what what gets that growth so as long as the top of the funnel understands you know this is what I can do with the brand then you're purchasing the brand at an appropriate multiple and that's how we've been kind of handling the situation yeah it's uh, I was chatting with Rob prior to this, and we were laughing at, you know, Q1 comps were not just COVID comps. Um, they were also the stimulus checks, right? Where they, they were getting spent on Amazon. We did a, when I first joined Perch, we did a, an article with Forbes where we looked at consumer survey data um, prior to those um, checks being cut. And then afterwards, looking at our portfolio and that, that money was getting spent on Amazon. It's really fascinating. Um, so, you know, thankfully, um, we took a relatively conservative approach, um, as conservative as you can, getting to 100 brands in under two years. But uh, we like we have normalizations, right? Like that that account for some of what we believe to be atypical sales, right? Um, and trying to um, yeah predict where we will be and and then and then pay out um, kind of multiples on that number, right? Um, but but yeah, multiples have have normalized. Um, we've we've had winners and we've had losers over the last year, and it's been really hard. Um, I, I describe perch a little bit like an anaconda that swallowed a baby hippo, right? And it's just lying there trying to digest it, right? And so we've been in the digestion phase for a while, um, and and thankfully that caused us to kind of pause acquisitions for a while to to do that digestion process. And we're still evaluating businesses, and we will ha- we'll take forty calls a week, but. Um, you know, we have to be able to operate them. And, and you know, that's, 
it's still not proven that aggregators have been able to oper operate. You know, um, the news about Thrasio obviously is troubling, I think. Um, but, but people that have taken a conservative approach, I think everyone on this, on this panel has, um, will be able to be winners um, long term. I think there are huge opportunities now that there are kind of distressed assets out there. Um, aggregators are now purchasing other aggregators. I think that's a really interesting um, opportunity and will continue to be so. Um, and yeah. Yeah, I think um, yeah, COVID, COVID was really tough to buy businesses because the question we were always asking ourselves was, 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 the, was revenue through those periods sustainable or was it you know, the COVID bump? Um, a lot of that's starting to unwind. I think May this year will probably be the first clean comp um, where there's no real COVID impacts through, through Amazon in our view. Um, so that makes it a bit easier. I think, yeah, the space... You know, there will be consolidation in the space. Uh, we were super disciplined where we went very slowly. Um, we didn't think it was a winner-takes-all market, so we were um, you know, very conservative about M&A approach, and um, you know, our brands are performing quite well. I think, uh, you know, keyword volume on Amazon, just overall, we think is about 20% down kind of year-on-year in kind of March. So, um, you know, key to our growth going forward is obviously diversifying off Amazon, diversifying to other Amazon marketplaces, selling on Shopify, getting into retail, optimizing conversion traffic. Um, and we've been really good at that. So it's, you know, that, that allows the brands to grow, but you, you know, it, it, is, it is tough out there. Um, but I think probably May going forward, the comps are going to get a lot easier um, with some of that COVID impact kind of watching through. So. Well, unfortunately, that's all we have time for. I think uh, safe to say no matter what happens, it's going to be exciting. I look forward to watching what you all do with your companies in the coming years. Um, that is a wrap now on the conference, uh, but it's not a wrap on the expo. I hope you all will join us down there and, and hang out with us for a little longer and check that all out. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to this episode of Retail Remix. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can find us on your favorite podcast player. Until next time, keep mixing it up.